Hello and welcome to Connected by Life. I'm your host, Sean Paul Harrison. Connected by Life was created to have engaging conversations about the important topics that impact physicians and our clinical stakeholders, especially in regards to organ donation and transplantation. Today we'll be discussing the Traumatic Loss Support Program and how we as an OPO are supporting families after loss. Today our special guest is Nala Swab. She has a Master's of Education and is also a Provisional Licensed Professional Counselor. She's been with LOPA for over 15 years and has also published on the topic of traumatic loss. So Nyla, I'm really eager to talk about this abundantly important topic of traumatic loss. And before we get started with that, you know, I know that you come with a number of years of wealth and knowledge and experience in so many different areas. So I'd like for you just to give us an overview of like your journey that led you to the traumatic loss project. I first started working at the Baton Rouge Regional Bank. just kind of fell into that position. I didn't even know I was interviewing for the position. And um, that was really wonderful. But when I saw what Lopa did going face to face, uh, working with the families, I thought, man, that's where I want to be. So I kind of transitioned into the role of um, a family advocate for Lopa. And that was really wonderful. I loved working with the families. I loved working in the hospital. And then I that led me into being, um, a, I guess, hospital liaison. We have a different name for it, donation service coordinator. Hospital development, education. Yeah. 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 And uh, at the Arlay the Lake. And I was there for several years. And now I'm in a position of supporting families after donation. So I feel like I'm kind of been from start to finish. So I'm not clinical, but I have been working for LOPA for about 20 years. And it's it's been a journey. You know, with the traumatic loss support program, like leading up to that, what were you seeing in your own experience throughout all those years, whether it was the iBank or with LOPA or in working with the hospital and these families, what was it that you were seeing that maybe was needed as either a resource or additional supportive things for these families? When I was working with family services, I was asked to go back to school to get my master's in um, clinical mental health counseling. And uh, I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And I thought that would be so fun. And it was, but I didn't realize it had been so long since I'd been in school. (laughs) So a lot had changed. But we were doing, so it was just project after project we would build on kind of every step of the way through grad school. And I kept thinking, well, I've got to relate it to LOPA. It just makes sense. So I kind of honed in on suicide loss. I came across a a gentleman by the name of Dr. Frank Campbell, and he developed the what's called a loss program. And uh, the loss program actually supports families who lose a loved one to suicide. And so I started really studying and looking in and my projects, because you kind of had to hone it in. There was so much you could could do a project on and it had to be specific. So I, I kind of stuck with suicide loss. And so as we continued, as I continued my journey in family services, I just saw how hard it is sometimes to put your life back together after you lose a loved one. I just noticed, you know, just even their language on what surrounds suicide and how that is shared. It's a different language. It is. Suicide loss um, really pertains to the families left behind or the loved ones. So in my research, I learned that when there is a loss to suicide, um, it was at first thought, and I'm not good with numbers, but if 
and my memory's not as great, but um, I want to say it was around 42 people are affected by the loss of a suicide. And then came new research came out and they said, no, no, it's more like over 300 people are affected by the loss of a suicide. And if you think about, I mean, I have three children and two have experienced a, a loss to suicide. And so their entire grades affected. The teachers are affected. The families are affected by by this loss. So I, I do agree with that number is so much larger. Communities are affected. Yeah. Well, I, was, I think I, I mentioned it because you used the way that you were mentioning it was in a different way than probably some of society does. And I'll think of a lot of it has to do with the stigma that goes along with it. Yes. And how families could be affected just on how you refer to it. And it is. And that's that's where the, the um, when Dr. Campbell, who's amazing, uh, actually realized that the research shows if a peer or support can get to a family who loses a loved one immediately and start a conversation with that family using the words that the family is comfortable using. So if it's suicide, because there is a stigma attached, that this allows that family not to withdraw because it's death by suicide, not committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where that stigma gets attached. So having these peer-to-peer support at the time of a suicide loss at the scene in most cases. So there are lost teams all over the world. We have um, one strong one, I believe, uh, in, well, I know one, in Louisiana. Um, that we all have several that are across the United States. Some states are much heavier with that. And when I say a, a lost team, it is it is a group of volunteers who have gone through healing. They want to help others, and they work with the coroner. So when there is um, a suicide, that support team is called out and goes and meets that family while there's so much going on. Uh, around the suicide. And so that's where the the support starts, right there at the time of death. And I was drawn to that. And that is kind of where the journey began with, okay, we have a great family service support program for the, that Lopez had for over 20 years, but could we get more specific around suicide loss? And then that grew into, okay, so there is suicide, but there's also the unexpected traumatic death. Uh, and if you think about a spouse whose husband has a cardiac arrest and the wife is giving CPR while trying to reach out to 911, waiting for 911 to call, and then the ambulance showing up and the wife having to watch the first responders administer CPR, that can just be devastating. And for some families, when you experience a trauma with support, and nurturing and love, you, you can write that ship if it's toppled. And I, I don't even know if that makes sense, but that that's an example that Dr. Campbell had used with me. But there's about a 20% of the population when faced with the trauma that cannot write their ship. So that's why it's so important that we are there to show support and keep a family from feeling isolated and even for families just knowing there's support out there, they may never use it, but it's comforting. And so that's what this is kind of where it all started. And we worked with some professionals, Dr. Frank Campbell. Uh, I think I told you I stalked him. He's the only person I have ever stalked <laughs> in my life. I do remember that story. 
So I, I, I was like, I got to meet this man. And when I found out he lived in Louisiana, I was like, ah, I can track him down. And then I found out he lived in Baton Rouge. And so the quest began because I couldn't find his address. I couldn't. But anyway, eventually I figured out where he worked. So I went to his work and he wasn't there. He had just left. And I just said, can I wait on him? And the, the she kind of had a gatekeeper and her name was Patty. And Patty like a said, security guard. <laughs> yeah, she was. And she was like, I'm sorry, who are you? And I said, oh, it's just somebody I really would like to meet, Dr. You know, Campbell. And so she took my name and number and I, and I asked her, are you really going to give it to him? And she said, yes. And so, and sure enough, he called me. He called me on the way to the airport. He works with um, veterans all over the world. And he asked me, how can I help you? And I said, well, how you can help me is I have a question I want to run by you. And I asked him, why could why could a OPO, Organ Procurement Organization, not be a loss team to be there to meet a family at the time of a loss um, to support them? And he said, that is, that's a really good idea. Which is ultimately what an organ procurement organization is you know, is a lost program. I mean, it, yours is much more organized. I know where we're going with this, but I'm just saying that, like, that's what we're designed to be. It is. And it's not contingent upon the answer of donation, but, um, you know, providing that support and everything else. So continue. Yeah, no. So it, it just kind of grew from there. So he said, come meet me at my office. Uh, he gave me a date, gave me a time. I, I showed up and then he's, we talked a little bit and he said, can I bring somebody else in? I said, yes. Uh, Dr. Ray Tucker, um, uh, an associate LSU professor with the psychology department, also works with training physicians. Um, how to, you know, if, if someone has a heart attack, right, they go to the hospital for care. Uh, when somebody takes their life by suicide or is an attempt, it's not always going to the hospital is not always going to be able to solve that problem. And so Dr. Tucker is working with physicians and hospitals to better support that individual who's made an attempt on their life. Um, research had shown that when people attempted suicide and went to the hospital, if not, if not treated with support, sometimes or on many occasions left the hospital more energized to take their life the same way that actually brought them into the hospital. So with that being said, uh, I had two experts in the, the world of suicidology that came on board with me and then met with our administration to figure out how we can better support our families. So it wasn't like we just sat down and said, hey, let's just shake up family service department. We just brought experts in that well, helped us. It was a us. very intentional attempt on improving this process and how you can help other families dealing with loss or individuals, as yes. well as the staff. Yes, yes. So we put this program together with the help of our administration. They didn't really change up what we were already doing because, remember, I, I feel like we were doing a really good job. We were supporting our families. We got great feedback from our families. Uh, and that, and so the first thing they did was create a program to train our our staff. And when I say our staff, not just our staff that goes into the hospitals to talk to families or approaches families by phone, but also the person who greets someone who walks into the door of LOPA, our CEO who drives our processes. So from top down, we trained our staff so that everybody could be more comfortable talking about loss and suicide. Dr. Campbell used to say, 
the conversation around suicide should be like, can you pass the salt? And we're not a country that does that. And in, in, I, I know, I don't know, you tell me, Sean Paul, when you walk into the grocery store and you see somebody and you'll be like, hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. Yeah. So that is, you know, <laughs> and generally that's kind of what we do. Right. And so we miss so many markers that may be there when someone is contemplating taking their life by suicide. Well, also, you're asking it in a way that where you mean what the answer is that's responded to. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yes. What you're hearing in return. Yes. Because you want to do something. You want to help. And and we can't always be on that level. And it, and But this is not about having training and counseling or therapy. This is about just recognizing and being intentional and attentive. There's a great uh, video on the AFSP site, which I always say AFSP, but it's called the um, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And it says, talk away the dark. And it has a father and a daughter and the daughter sits down and says, hey, dad, how you doing? And he's like, I'm good. I'm tired. And it just a light goes off. And And so it just shows these different encounters. And each time there's an encounter where the daughter just kind of accepts the answer, another light goes off. And so soon the the father is engulfed in this darkness. And so it shows how the daughter says, Dad, are you thinking about hurting yourself? And he said, I am. And and she said, are you thinking about taking your life? And so it, it, it just shows that they are then brought together closer and this connection begins. And I remember when I was having these conversations with Dr. Campbell, I had talked so much about this this project I was trying to pull together um, in front of my children and my husband. And I and I had a, a young daughter. And I said, Dr. Campbell, do you think me... And, and, I, and I just kind of even struggled to get the words out. And he said, do I think you talking about suicide would put that thought into your daughter's head? Planting seeds. Yeah. And he said, absolutely not, Nala. It, it is a comfort for someone because if someone has been in their own head contemplating suicide... It's a relief to be able to have a conversation. You're not putting something new in their head. It's already there. And you are giving them a safe place to have that conversation and to get them to the right place for help. It's not saying that I need to be that person, but I can get them the support they need. We are all a community, and there are people in our community who need who need support and need us to be able to have these conversations, just like pass the salt. I want to end with a quote because it, it actually is a quote that you shared with me, that I shared in one of the first episodes, and I don't even know if you knew that, but it was from Maya Angelou, and it said, you will forget what people said to you, and you'll forget what people did to you, but you won't forget how people made you feel. Thank you, Nala, for being here as a guest and sharing your experience and your knowledge with us. Thank you for listening, and also thank you for being the kind of person that cares about organ, eye, and tissue donation. You can register anytime at registerme.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Connected by Life on your favorite podcast app. And remember, you're a light worker. Keep shining. This is a production of LOPA. The content in this podcast is intended for informational purposes only and not intended to substitute for professional medical advice. To read our full disclaimer, please visit our website. 
The Connected by Life podcast is hosted by myself, Sean Paul Harrison. Our executive producer is Kirsten Heinz. Our production assistant is Chandra Williams. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.